I'm super excited to talk to you guys tonight. Um, and so tonight, I'm going to do something really weird, and I'm going to present to you my research paper. Wow, I, I thought everyone was going to be like, Ugh. Okay, no. But so what happened was, I really like this scripture and this text we're going to talk out of. But then I also, over years, have had kind of this huge question out of this text that we're going to talk out of. Because some of you guys might have noticed, as we were just singing, playing guitar, seeing me write music and stuff, I like music, I like to worship, right? And I really like to worship, and I think through the course of the past few years in leading worship in Chi Alpha, and then like starting to songwrite and share that, and really praying about what does that look like, how does God want that to look, how does the Bible say worship looks, and you start to read the Bible and you're like, that looks nothing like my church or like Chi Alpha. And so I kind of had this little, almost like existential crisis about what is worship and how do we do it, and how do I do this job well and communicate how we're supposed to worship God to students and to the people that I'm leading worship. And so I started to ask my friends, like pastor friends, good Christian friends, people I really respect in the faith, and I would say, what is worship? And do you know what they would all say? They would all quote the scriptures that we're going to look at tonight. And they would say this. They would say, well, we're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. And then they would smile. And they would nod as if that makes any sense. And they would walk away. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so maybe if you're like me, you didn't grow up in church and like your brain is just not busting with biblical knowledge. Like if somebody were just to walk up and be like, worship is to be in spirit and truth. Like if you're like me, you might be like, that sounds really great. What on earth does that mean? And so like... This semester, I'm taking a class in New Testament studies, and we're going through the first five books of New Testament, so it's the four Gospels and Acts. And the professor said, I want you to do a research paper on anything in there. So, like, the first thing that came to mind was, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study what this means in John 4, what it says to worship in spirit and truth, because I don't know. And, um, and then, I, like, I presented that as my research, and he was like, I don't know how you're going to get... 15 pages, <laughs> right? And, and so was, he was like, and I was like, I can do it. You know, I have to know what this means. And so I've kind of spent the semester thinking on it and like obviously prior up to that the past few years thinking on it. Um, so I'm not going to read your research paper, okay? I'm just going to kind of like discuss the things that the Lord has taught me in a much more interesting fashion because otherwise it would be boring. Um, but this scripture, it comes from a story that I really, really like. And so we're going to look at the story, and it's the story of the Samaritan woman, or the woman at the well, in John chapter 4. So if you have your, like, paper Bibles, you can open them. And if you don't have your paper Bibles, there's, like, phone Bibles. And if you have, like, a dead phone, it's on the screen. Um, but I like paper Bibles, because then you look at it, and then you, like, might look at it again later. And I want you to read the Bible, because the Bible is the best. It's even better than, like, a mat or a jacket. Right? Because, like, you have it with you every second of every day, and you can directly hear what God has to say to you from it. Right? And so, I want you to read about it. Um, but so, I really like this story because it's the story about this lady, and she's like an outsider. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of identify with that. And as we get into her story, we'll see that, like, she's done a lot of wrong in her life. She has a past 
and she's kind of like not the popular person because we see her all alone. And in like ancient Near Eastern culture, the ladies did not like hang out alone unless there was something odd about them, right? And I think there's just something about her story and reading about her that I really connect with because I'm just in my own life, one of those people that's always felt like kind of maybe the square peg in the round hole. Like, and I felt like that before I came to Christ. I was a really awkward kid. Um, I was a really nerdy kid with the braces and the glasses and the fountain thing. We talked about that a few, a few weeks ago. But, I mean, I just, like, no matter what I did, I was, like, awkward. And then I'd fit in one place. And then I'd be awkward everywhere else. And that's just kind of who I was. And so I struggled a lot because I was made fun of. Um, had hard home life and, and like kind of through trying to figure that out without the Lord and a family that doesn't know the Lord ended up in just a lot of sin, a lot of trouble, a lot of hurt in my life. And then I came to, to church and I'm like, Jesus loves me, right? And the cool thing about Jesus is like no matter who you are, you're welcome with him, right? Like he loves you, he accepts you, he wants you. It's really great. So I found that in Jesus and I then I was like, and now his people, like, they'll love me, they'll want me, they'll accept me. No, I was still didn't quite fit, right? And this is kind of like carried through my life. It's like everywhere I go, I don't quite fit. Like even now, I'm in seminary, at a seminary that's maybe like a different denomination and thinks a little bit differently than I do, right? I'm like, I still don't fit. And so I kind of, through my whole life, have loved this lady because she's an outsider, and I think that we can all kind of identify with that. Um, but so we're going to look at her story. And it's in John 4. We'll start in, chap- in verse 4 of chapter 4. Um, it said, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came down to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God had for you, and who it is that's speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, I don't have a rope or a bucket, or you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you go get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink this water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So we're going to pause there for a second, okay? So this is a story of thirst, okay? Jesus is thirsty. So he sits by a well, and he asks a lady for a drink of water. Now, to us today, reading this story, this doesn't sound crazy or radical. But if you were there at the time, and it kind of hints at it, it's like Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. We'd realize that, okay, there's this first racial divide that... The Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans because there was a time when a lot of the um, Jewish people were exiled and the Assyrians brought in like other people to live in that land and like the population mixed and so that's what became the Samaritans and so it was like these pure Jewish people and then the Samaritans were like a mixed race and so Jewish people looked down on them, didn't associate, right? 
And so, like, typically, a Jewish person would not talk to a Samaritan person. Okay, on top of that, a respectable Jewish guy did not talk to a woman by herself out in the open. Okay? So it's like, we see that there's, like, a racial divide. We see that there's a gender divide. And, like, as we start to understand the culture of the time, we realize that Jesus, in just starting this conversation with this lady, is jumping across just about every barrier, like cultural and otherwise, that exists. Because also, she's at the well at noon, which, like I kind of said a minute ago, means that like she wasn't with her friends. Because normally, in that culture, the ladies went to the well first thing in the morning, so they have water for all the daily chores and get all the cooking, cleaning, everything done. And they all went together in a group. So she's there at noon, in the heat of the day, she's kind of like avoiding people. Cool. And, and so we see Jesus see this woman and know, like, he knows it's going to be weird to start a conversation with her, but he does it anyways. And he jumps across this and he starts to talk to her. And he talks to her about his thirst, right? And then he kind of draws her in with this conversation. So we'll pick up in verse 13, where he said, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. So verse 15, she says, Please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, You're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Y'all like, (laughs) awkward conversations, right? And so she says, sir, you must be a prophet. (laughs) So tell me, why is it, right? And so, like, and I want to point this out. Because, like, obviously Jesus wants to talk to her. And he's not, he does confront her sin, though. Like, and sin's kind of like a harsh word, but we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. But, like, he wants to talk to her. And he's not there just to condemn her. Because we do just condemned her, he would treat her like any other Jewish person would, right? So he's like gently approached her and kind of drawn her in and then he addresses her sin and so we see that like he's trying to do something with this and he's kind of like gentle gentle and artful about it, right? Um, But then she kind of like changes the subject right? In verse 19 she says, you must be a prophet so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who called, who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us, and Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so we see that he confronts her. But he's kind of started out the conversation saying, I'm thirsty. And she's like, why are you talking to me? And then he says, you know, if you would ask me for water, I would give you water that would satisfy you forever. And she's like, 
You don't have a bucket. Okay. This is Jackie version. Um, and, you know, and, he, and so there's kind of this, and then he, he draws her in, and it looks like when he confronts her sin that he's changing the subject. But really, he's not. Because if we look at it, um, like he's saying he has what can satisfy. And then he kind of turns it around and shows her where she's been trying to find satisfaction in her life somewhere else. And so he's saying, like, I have what will truly satisfy your soul. So the very depths of your being, what will satisfy you, is what he means by living water. We kind of get that as we read on. And then he kind of points out, and this is how you've been trying to satisfy it. And he also points out, that's kind of broken, and it's not working, because we're on the sixth guy, and this one's not even marrying you. you know, and, but I feel like he's really gentle about it. Um, but then that gives us a question as we look at this that we have to ask ourselves, what will give us a really satisfying life? And so I kind of want you guys to think about that as we're talking. Like, what is it that you think, man, if I have that thing, it will satisfy me. If I have this, it will satisfy me. And sometimes, you guys, like, honestly, we have in our heads, like, whether we admit it or not, like, this place that we want to get to or this level that we're hoping to arrive at or, like, a position that we're pursuing so we're going to college so we can get the degree to do the thing, right? Um... And so whatever that is, like, what is it that will satisfy you? Sometimes for us, that's love. You know, um, I'm going to pick on ladies because I'm a lady. So I feel like bad to pick on the fellows. But sometimes we're like, man, if we could just find that guy that will really, really love me, like, I'll be satisfied. Look, he's going to have a bad day. Or he's going to fall asleep in the middle of, like, you sharing all your feelings. Like, he's going to fail you. It's not going to satisfy you, right? Um, or, or, like, not that... Love isn't good, but it's just like, that can't be everything, right? Or sometimes we're like, money. I want all the dollars, right? I want all the dollars. I don't want to just be a thousandaire. A thousandaire is, eh. But, like, I want to be a millionaire, a billionaire, right? Like, we're like, I want all the dollars. And if I have money, then I won't have the stress that I currently have in my life, and I'll be satisfied. But then I think if we carry that too far, like, we know that's not true because we see like people in the celebrity world, people in the finance world, they really do have it all in like, they're still not happy, right? They're still not satisfied. And so it could be a cause that we're like, we're gonna fight for justice in this cause. And once that's achieved, man, like, I'll be satisfied. It could be like a title, it could be a career. But what is that thing that you think in and of yourself, like, man, if I have that, I'll be satisfied. Because that would be kind of like if Jesus were to come to you at the well and sit down, probably what he would put his finger on, right? He's like, what is that thing that you think you need to be satisfied? Um, there was a really famous writer, David Foster Wallace. He wasn't a Christian, but he gave a really famous speech at a college graduation where he talked about everybody worships something. Like everybody worships something. And at the end of it, he said, you know, the benefit to worshiping some kind of God for some people is that anything else you worship is going to eat you alive. And that, this is like from a non-Christian perspective. Um, but, but really, he admitted, like, everybody worships something. Like, everybody's life is pointed at something, doing everything to achieve something, and that's worship. Um, and so Jesus is kind of addressing this. She, as we read the story, kind of starts to side, sidestep it, Right? And y'all know, some of y'all, you've been in one-on-ones with Matt or Jackie, 
And we're like starting to talk about it and like, but I have a question, right? And like, I'll get the pastor talking about a theology thing and then they won't ask me that, right? And that's what she does. Like she picks the big theology question of her day and it's like, where is the correct place to worship? Because then they still have the temple and the mountain. And she's like, you're a prophet. Tell me where we should worship, right? Um, and, and so she's kind of almost like shifting and tr- or trying to shift. Jesus is Jesus, okay? So he's not like a Jackie who like, falls for tangents. Like, like he keeps going. Um, but he responds, and like in essence, this is the short, and then we'll talk about it more in a minute, that the time is coming there will be no need for a physical temple in order to have access to God. So the time is coming that it's like, Temple and mountain not going to matter because you're going to be able to have access to God wherever you go. Um, and so, you know, in that, as we kind of see this conversation and she starts to talk about, you know, the Messiah will tell him, he says, I'm he. Like, what we're learning from that is that Jesus is the only Savior who, if you gain him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he'll forgive you. Right? We all worship something. There's only one thing we can worship that if we worship that, he'll truly be our savior and satisfy us. And if we fail in our worship of him, he'll forgive us, right? Everything else is not so forgiving. Um, And so when we think about sin, because we're talking about like satisfaction and sin, um, a lot of times we think sin, bad thing. Like sin hurts somebody, you know, sin, catastrophic, like one of the top 10, 10 commandments, right? like, like murder or adultery or like, you know, lying, stealing, you know, like two of those are really bad and two of those were like, lying, you know, <laughs> stolen in the top 10, don't do it. Um, but, but here's a good definition for sin that I think takes it a little bit more broadly, but a little bit more accurate according to the Bible. It's this, sin is looking to something else besides God for your salvation. It's putting yourself in God's place being your own Savior and Lord. So, not only is it sin if we lie, right? Or we murder. Don't do those. Right? But it's also sin if we try to find satisfaction ourselves and we try and achieve everything ourselves. Not only is it going to fall short, but it's looking to something else. Ourself. Right? And like... Sometimes we look to ourselves. Sometimes we're like this lady, and we're looking for satisfaction in like relationships or in money. Or but but if we're looking to anything, self included, that's not God, that's the definition of sin. Cool. Um. So then he goes on to talk about how we worship, and we've got in spirit and in truth, right? And I've already explained to you guys that like previously, we were like worships to be in spirit and in truth. I was like, well, that just sounds super spiritual and holy and great, and my brain is just like don't know what it means. So this is kind of what I've spent some time digging into. So we're going to talk about what those mean. But so to worship in spirit means this. It's not external, but it's spiritual and inward. So it's a matter of the heart. It's not just actions, right? So that's to say that we could be standing over here and Jackie could be playing guitar and we could be singing and that could be not worship, right? Like if, I mean, I could be standing here singing and playing and thinking about what I'm going to eat when I get home. And like, I'm not going to lie, it's happened. I try not to let it happen, but it's happened, right? But it's like, if I'm standing over here playing, singing, thinking about what I'm going to eat when I get home, am I worshiping God? 
No, like externally it looks like I'm worshiping God. You might think I'm worshiping God, but like in my heart I'm not worshiping God. So when we talk about in spirit, we're talking about like an inward spiritual matter of the heart. Um, and there's this quote. I am going to read you this quote from the smart guy because he puts it better than me. Cool. Do you guys like that? Quotes from smart guys? His name is James Montgomery Boyce. It's a very... That's a name. All right. Uh, he says, Jesus was teaching that in the age he was inaugurating by his death and resurrection, the place of worship would not matter. For man or woman would not worship merely in being in the right place, doing certain right things. He would worship in a spirit which could be anywhere. Many people worship with their body. In our day, this would refer to people who think they have worshipped God simply because they've occupied a seat in a church on Sunday morning, sung a hymn, or lit a candle, or crossed themselves, or knelt in the aisle. Jesus says that this is not worship. True worship occurs only when that part of a man, his spirit, which is akin to the divine nature... For God is spirit, actually meets God and finds itself praising him for his love, wisdom, truth, beauty, holiness, compassion, mercy, grace, power, and all of his other attributes. So what he's saying, because that's really great, but then sometimes we're like, what does that mean? What that's saying is like, if it's just outward, it's not worship. There has to be that inward part and it's God focused. Um, A.W. Tozer calls it the inward gaze of the soul. Where like everything within us is focused on Lord, on the Lord, and focused Godward. Um, so it's sincere and God directed, and it's not focused on self. And so um, there's this question that God asked the people of Israel in Zechariah seven five. Who we have it? Um, and he says, "Say to your people and your priests during these seventy years of exile, when you fasted and mourned." in the summer and early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And, um, and he kind of like goes on, if you read on in the chapter, but God is saying, was it for me? Because they would go through all of these rituals and all of these outward things, but they would do all these rituals and these outward things because they wanted God to bless them. They wanted God to hear them. They wanted God to respond to them. And at some point it became... Not about God, because sometimes we do have need, and it's okay to bring that to God. But it became about, like, well, me. I worship God for me and what I get out of it and what it does for myself. And when we come to that place, that's not worship in spirit. That's not Godward focus. That's still, like, I'm doing this God thing so I can see what I could get out of it. And I think God asks us this question, too. Like, when we're worshiping, he says, was it for me? Um, A.W. Pink said, Worship is a redeemed heart occupied with God, expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving. So this condemns self-centered worship, right? Like if our heart is supposed to be expressing itself to God in adoration and thanksgiving, then it's like if we're in it for us, like that's not worship God wants, right? So if at any part you're like coming and you're like, I'm coming because of what I need to get out of a church service, I'm... You know, I mean, and, like, sometimes we see that, right? Like, sometimes people get to a desperate place, but it's, like, become more about me than it is about God. And it's, like, if we find ourselves in that place, we need to stop and pray and be, like, God, bring me back to focusing on you, not on me, on you. And, and I think that's one of those things that it's always a process that we're going to be realigning our focus on God, realizing, like, oh, it became about me. We've got to refocus that. Um, 
but we are to be constantly refocusing ourselves like that. But, so not only does worship in spirit mean that it can't be self-focused, it also like adds nobility to anything we do, truly unto God, right? So that's like a mom with like tiny babies at home who's like exhausted, but she's raising them and loving them and trying to teach them to grow up and, and love the Lord. Like if she does that unto God, that's worship, right? Um, and like, like a guy that like just goes to his job and he works and he's friendly and he's kind because like he wants to be a blessing to the people around him and he's not lazy there. He works hard and he does it as honor unto God. That's worship, right? Like anything we do as unto the Lord can be worship, right? So I mean, you can do dishes and it could be worship. Um, I got to tell you guys, it's the only way dishes happen in my house. I don't like dishes, but I like worship. Um, so usually I'm like singing and folding laundry, singing, scrubbing the plates. Um, but it's not that you have to sing, just that helps me. But like anything we do, if we're doing it unto God, that can be worship, right? And I think that's really cool because sometimes we see worship and we think like it's just music or it's just a guitar or it's just like weird lights and fog machines. We'll not have fog machines here because that's weird. Um, but sometimes they're there, right? Like, but it's like, we don't need all that for worship. We just need to, like, focus our spirit on the Lord in, like, thankfulness and adoration. And any time we do that in any way, that's, like, worship in spirit to God. Um, and so I think that's really cool. So whenever, wherever God can say, it was for me, that's spiritual worship. And that's what he sees. Okay? So that's worship in spirit. And we say worship in truth, right? And so we've got to have kind of, like, a balance of these. Um, or both in. But worship in truth then requires a right concept of who we worship. Okay? A right concept of who we worship. So you guys, this requires us to know who God is. Right? You cannot worship God if you do not know who is God. Fair? And I think a lot of times like we come in and we're like, I'm going to worship and like, I don't really know but I'll do it. Um, but really to worship in truth it requires us to know who God is what is and isn't true about him because like if you don't know what's true about him what's not true about him like how are you really going to adore him or be thankful because you don't know about him um so like in this we need to know the word we need to read the bible we need to find out who he is so we don't know who he is like we cannot worship him in truth um and if we have false ideas about god that's not only not worship in truth but it can become an idol because a lot of times like Y'all, look, I'm a campus pastor. I sit with people. I listen a lot. I know I like to talk, but, like, I feel like a lot of weeks, 90% of my job is just sit, listen. Like, it's like how was and then words, and you just listen. Um, You know, and then you pray. But a lot of times what we hear is, like, especially if a student is, like, really struggling with the Lord, it's like, well, God hasn't done this, and I haven't, and I'm like, you know, and every once in a while you're like, where did that idea that this is what God does even come from? Because, like, it's not biblical. It's just somebody assumed if there is a God, he should be like this. Or if there is a God, he should do this. And I'm like, if that doesn't match up with what is in this Bible, that's not God. And that's become an idol that you're like, I'm worshiping this idea of this God that, that should do this for me. You know, but if we don't actually know whether or not that's who God is, like not worship in truth. Um, so it requires us also 
to know how to worship him. So in scripture, we see many people worship God sincerely, but they do it according to their own ideas of worship, and they get rejected by God. Example of this is like Cain, um, where like Abel offers a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain then, instead of like turning around and learning from that, murders his brother, so kind of like makes the matter worse. Um, but it's like he didn't offer God the worship that God wanted, and God like expressed that to him, and he got angry. But it's like, man, what if he had just been like, okay, I need to figure out how to do it right. Like the whole rest of the Bible would be a different story. Uh, but like, and, and so sometimes it's like we realize like, oh, maybe that's not how I'm supposed to worship the Lord. Like, Lord, help me change it. I'm going to just change. Um, so that's possible. And then we see like Nadab and Abihu, um, like right off the bat, they offer like strange fire before the Lord. And it says the Lord struck them dead because they just... There was a way, especially in ancient Israel, there was a very prescribed way that God said, worship me this way. And they were like, well, that's good, but we're going to do our own thing. And it was disrespectful, right? And so there are ways that God says he wants us to worship him. Like, same thing with Aaron and the golden calf. You guys, it even, like, on the side of it was inscribed, the Lord, like, you know, so they're like, we're going to worship God, but we're not going to worship God how Moses told us God wants to be worshipped. Instead, we're going to make this golden calf because he'll really like that. Um, so it's like if at any point you find yourself thinking like, man, I read in the Bible or I heard my pastor or my Kaiafa leader talk about how God wants me to worship him, and that's great, but I'm going to go do it my way. Okay, that might be sinful, like pride, and, and I need to like stop and consider. Well, maybe, like, maybe the Bible knows how God wants. <laughs> it is like his letter to us about how to know him. Um, so... <laughs> We need to look at how God asks to be worshipped, primarily here in spirit and truth, but then, like, it does give us some other thoughts and guidelines. Um, And there's this quote by Calvin, which I really like, and he says this. He says, we're to follow this one law in worshipping God, simply to obey his word. And you guys, I think that if we wanted really to be true worshippers of God, not true singers of cool hip music songs, so all kinds of sin, okay? But true worshipers of God, that one word that starts with the O and it ends with a B-E-Y, like that word, that's how you start to worship God. It's to obey. Right? Matt says it a lot of times when, when he talks about like obedience and he's preached on that many times. He says, obedience is God's love language. Man, like you might like quality time. You might like physical touch. You might like gifts. Right? You might like words of affirmation, but God wants obedience. That's his love language. So if you want to love on God and you want to do something that will please his heart and make him happy, just obey. Right? And again, we can't obey unless we know what to obey. So it takes us back to the word. But obedience is key. And also, like, obe- uh, so worship, in truth, it requires thought. Right? So we've we got to kind of, like, know what's true. So, like, worship... It's in spirit and Godward focus, but like it also, we're supposed to engage our mind and be like thinking on who God is and like engaging that. So if at any point you're just like, and staying there, like this, it might be peaceful, might not, you know, like you engage. Um, and then, so we've talked about worship and spirit and truth, but I think like a lot of times, and this is like, y'all, as I've studied, the thing that jumped out to me most of all is like when people quote this 
the scripture to me, they're like, we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth. They stop too early. They stop too early. I don't think there's those two points. I think there's a third one. Because in verse 24, it says, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Then it tells us, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And if you look at that in the original language, he says, I am, and he says, I am in the same way that God said, I am to Moses at the burning bush, when Moses said, who are you? And he said, I am. So he's saying, like, I am, like, I am God. Um, And so all of our worship, not only is it to be in spirit and in truth, it's to be through Christ. All of our worship is to be through Christ and what he's done for us. He's the revealer of God, right? And so we have to come through Christ to find God. We have to come through his death and his resurrection. Everything is done for us to find God. Um, Ephesians 2.18 tells us that through him we have access to the Father. And you guys, so how did the Samaritan woman find salvation? Because this is a story about how the Samaritan woman finds salvation. And if you keep reading, which you can do at home because we're not going to stay here all night, you can read about how she then like leaves this conversation with Jesus and goes to tell all of her friends. Because apparently she had a lot of friends. But she wasn't with them then. I don't really know what happened. But she goes to tell everybody. And they all come and they meet Jesus and they get to know him for, for themselves. Right? And so like she finds salvation. And not only does she find it, she's so radically changed by it that she's telling everyone. So in this story, she finds salvation. But she finds salvation because this. Jesus was thirsty. She finds salvation because Jesus was thirsty. And I think that strikes me because, like, you guys, Jesus is God wrapped up in human flesh, right? He's the divine Son of God, maker of heaven and earth. And he emptied himself of his glory. And he came to this world as a vulnerable, tiny, mortal, little baby, subject to becoming weary and thirsty. And I think it's really fun to talk about that right now at this time of the year because, like, we're about to celebrate Christmas. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas says that, like, Jesus is Emmanuel. That means God with us, right? Christmas is the time that he came, God, wrapped himself in an itty-bitty baby body and was subject to all of the things we have to deal with, even thirst, right? Even tiredness. So he sits down tired and thirsty, And because he was willing to become, like, a human, this lady receives salvation. Because he's thirsty, this lady receives salvation. And you guys, that's not the last time that Jesus said, I thirst. In the end of the book of John, just before Jesus died on the cross, he said, I thirst. And that wasn't just physical. In that moment, he was experiencing loss of relationship with the Father. Because he was taking the punishment that we all deserve for our sins. He was experiencing an ultimate, torturous, eternal thirst because he was cut off from the source of living water, the Father God. Um, You guys, because Jesus experienced this thirst on the cross, you and I can have our spiritual thirst satisfied, like we talked about at the beginning. Because Jesus experienced thirst as he suffered and died on the cross, he'll quench that thirst within us. That, that needs satisfaction, that has to find satisfaction somewhere. He died so we can be born again. And so the question kind of to pose to you as we close is this. What will it take to turn our hearts away from the things that enslave us and towards him and worship? Like, what will it take for you? What will it take for you to 
to finally come to Jesus and be like, man, Jesus, that thing, whatever it was, a little bit ago when Jackie said, what's that one thing you'll have and you'll be satisfied? Like, man, Lord, I want to trust you even more than that thing, whatever it is, whether it's love or whether it's, you know, money or prestige or, you know, whatever you put in that blank, right? Um, but Jesus wants not just for us to, like, have earthly success, right? He wants for us to be eternally satisfied and know him because um, that lasts beyond this life, right? When this body gets old and starts to decay and gets more wrinkles, right, and is buried in the ground, like, that satisfaction that I have in Jesus, like, it lasts because I'm going to see him face to face and I'm live with him forever, forever. Like, it, it, it can't be taken away, right? It's not like money. You can't lose it. It's not like a relationship. Like, they can't decide they don't love you. Like, it's forever, that satisfaction. And he died for that, for us to be able to have that. Um, so I want to take a minute and pray. Um, and we're going to pray for those three, three things, right? So we talk about in spirit and truth in Christ. And so, like, man, if, if you're saying, like, man, I'm having trouble focusing on the Lord. I'm having trouble focusing and, and, and not being about me. I need it to be more about Jesus than about me. Okay? Then we'll pray for that. And we're talking about truth, and you're saying, like, so... I need help figuring out who God is and wanting to read his word and wanting to know him in that way. We'll pray for that. And the third one is in Christ. So if you're saying like, man, I don't, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I haven't invited him in so that he will like completely satisfy me in every way. And I can know him forever and someday be with him in heaven. If you've not prayed that, man, that is the most, most, most important thing ever. So we're going to pray for those things as you guys bow your head. Lord, we just invite you to come and have your way. God, would you teach us to be people that love you, that worship you in spirit and in truth through what you've done through Jesus Christ. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, is there anybody here that said, I need help like with that in spirit thing. I need help focusing on the Lord and making it less about me and more about him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? So, God, you see these hands. Lord, we pray that you would help us. God, help us to take our focus off of ourselves, Lord God, and live as people who worship you in spirit and focus on you and who you are and what you've done and how you love us and how amazing you are. God, teach us to be Godward-focused people. In Jesus' name. And so, um, the second one, if you're like, man, I need help worshiping God in truth. I need help, like, seeking him and his word and wanting to read the Bible. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Oh, oh God, you see those hands. Lord, we pray that you would make us people that are hungry for your word. God, would you give us an insatiable desire for your word, for your scripture, to know you, to read it, help it to be fun and interesting and make sense to us. God, help us to be people of your word so we can worship you in truth. And um, now we're going to pray for that third one. If you're here and you say, I haven't asked Jesus to come and satisfy my soul and be my Savior and my Lord in that way, um, if that's what you, would you raise your hand? We're going to pray with you. Okay. God, you see these hands. Lord, we just pray. And you guys can pray along with me in your heart. You say, Lord... 
we just thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord God, and help us to know you as Savior and Lord. We trust on what you did for us and that you rose again and you conquered sin in the grave for us. And now our soul can be satisfied in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we just thank you for everything you've done tonight, everything you've spoken to us. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would come, and God, you would help us to be people that worship you in spirit and in truth and in Christ. In Jesus' name, thank you for these students. They're precious, God. Amen.